Secrets of a Dance Hit with Ridney. Hey, I'm Ridney, presenter of Secrets of a Dance Hit. I've been a producer for 20 years, a DJ for 23 years, Cafe Mambo Ibiza resident and three times winner of the prestigious Essential New Tune Award on Pete Tong's BBC Radio 1 Essential Selection. I've had music on labels including Defected, Tool Room, Ministry of Sound, Nervous, Size, Spinning to name but a few. And what is Secrets of a Dance here? I'm having a look and a listen to some of my favourite records from my favourite producers. Records that have been underground bangers which have gone on to be huge global hits. Join me as I lift the lid on sample clearance, how records were put together and what producers thought of these records. Join me for Secrets of a Dance here. Welcome along, friends, to this another episode of Secrets of a Dance Hit. I am Ridney, and this week I've been sparking up Skype, connecting directly to Stockholm to one of dance music's producers who's been just doing it for a, a long time, since the uh, early 90s, responsible for many a big track, but arguably responsible for a track that just appears in so many lists of the greatest dance records. He is, of course, Stonebridge... And he is responsible for Robin S. Show Me Love. Secrets of a Dance Hit with Ridney. Stonebridge, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm blushing over here in Sweden. (laughs) (laughs) Well, That was an epic introduction. (laughs) Oh, my man, you are a man who has had many, many hits over the years. The one record that people ask me so much about, uh, would you be able to get Stonebridge to talk about, is your remix of Robin S. Show Me Love, which... Looking at the stats, and I looked a couple of days ago, a record that is 26 years old this year, but still gets played in clubs. It was number one on the dance chart, number six on the UK singles chart in April 93, spending 25 weeks on the UK chart. Top five Billboard Hot 100, and there are literally lists upon lists where that track is, or your mix of that track is featured, of the greatest 90s club hit. So, after that introduction, (laughs) where the heck do we start? I mean, it is a huge record, and I know that it, it, you know, obviously it's a remix, but kind of how did things start for you? It's, It's a very interesting story. I mean, being a Swede, you know, we always looked up to the UK, that's where it was happening, and the US. You know, we saw the Moraleses, we saw the Hurleys, you know, Steve Silk Hurley, all those guys. And uh, we didn't know how to get started. We had this company, Swemix, and we shared office with a guy that ran a label called B-Tech. Okay. And he came up with a brilliant idea to make EPs on vinyl. We did these club records. It was random things, you know. They worked really well up north, I've been told, years and years later. And people started to notice this name, you know, Swemix, you know, Stonebridge, B-Tech and all that. And I did a vocal track called See the Day by Anne Consuelo. Okay. And it was picked up by London label Champion Records. Yeah. And I spoke to them. I mean, it was hourly calls with the, the boss there, Mel Medali. And he taught me, Stone, it's all about the song. And, you know, and like he, he sort of educated me. He was an old uh, song man, you know, Midem and all these things. You know, he'd been going for years and years before. So um, 
We did things, you know, and one day he said, I have a remix for you. It's it's a girl called Robin Stone. The track is crap, but the vocal is quite good. And I was thinking, <laughs> Robin Stone, Stonebridge, it's meant to be. Oh, I get it. So I sent send the 24. In those days, it was 24 track tapes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, a week later, it came by UPS. I rolled on the tape. And the first thing I noticed is that, wow, that's an amazing kick drum. It was on Junior engineer there that had recorded the kick drum way too loud. It was like tape distortion and all those lovely things. Okay. I mean, technically it's disaster, but you know, but for us house people, it's like, hmm, bit crush. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but yeah. But the natural way on tape. Yeah. I could not believe that kick. It was like I was listening to the kick and you could hear a small trace of the 909 snare in there. So it was like jamming just a kick drum. Right. And being a a muso, you know, like, I listened to the track and I, I kind of liked the chords and everything. He was right, it wasn't spectacular, but uh, I, I put in a, a bass line with an M1 keyboard and it was number 16, pick bass. Yeah. Oh, that's jamming. And I was thinking, you know, this is groove. UK's gonna like this, like a soulful kind of swagger. Yeah. I did the mix, I sent it off. Yeah, we don't like the mix at all. Oh, no. And what's wrong with it? Yeah, well, it's kind of the same, you know, but we need something edger. And this was a, a Friday night, and I had a gig later on that night, so I only had like five hours. So I got really pissed off. <laughs> Went into the studio, rolled on the tape, and I was thinking, that kick drum is really good. What if I change the bass sound to the next sound? I was looking for a sound. Yeah. Number 17, organ two. Yeah. I had the bass line already, yeah. and then the organ played, and it's something magical about that the key of the song, I don't know what it is, and the kick drum. And I was thinking, man, organ as a bass line, that's fantastic. Yeah. So I had the dun, 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 and then uh, I was thinking, oh, it's, it's quite full, right? Put in the vocal, ooh. And I was thinking, you know, like as of, uh, this was probably three hours into the session, Morales was really good in those days, David Morales. He did these dubs, and they always had nice percussion intros. Okay. So I found a little cowbell triangle loop that I put in the background. Yeah. And then he had a really wicked snare, but I couldn't find it clean. It was a kick drum in it too. So I said, okay, if I make it really short, maybe I'll get away with it. And that's why the snare is so heavy. Ah, right. And honestly, I mean, believe me, I reversed engineered that song for decades, you know, like trying to discover what was so magic and yeah. I think it's a key in the kick drum and in the snare that creates a melody okay so that's the magic you know the, the the organ and the kick drum and the snare drum sort of created like a an arrangement you know like music a bed uh, because it doesn't I've tried the kit in other songs it doesn't work oh it was just right in that for that record it only works with that <laughs> wow. Anyway, I mix it. And just before I mixed down, I felt, you know, like it needs attitude. It needs something. It was very girly, you know. Like, so I felt, you know, like, why don't I take this Yamaha uh, TX81Z, I think it's called. And it was a really stabby sound. I, I, in those days, you had a mixing board. So I put it in on channel 12 or something and just pushed the gain all the way. And it was distorting like mad. And... Uh, Someone had done a rave record, dun, 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 something like that. Yeah. So I did. Dun, 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 dun. I just put in that line. Oh, that will do. So I had that in the beginning, and then I managed to fit it in somewhere towards the very end. And then I mixed it down. I, I checked my watch. Oh, 
I got a gig in like 30 minutes here. So I mixed it down. Come Monday, I sent the death tape. And of course, rejected. Nah, it's, really? it's quite... Yeah, it's quite good, he said. Okay. I mean, I can understand the logic now. If you're too excited, you might think money. <laughs> so, so you got to keep the producer sort of, you know, hold him down a little bit. Yeah. To put expectations. I think I did 12 re-edits back of in those that days. mix? Yes. Blimey. What you did those days, you did, you did the, the vocal, the instrumental, then you did a cappella, then you did various bits and pieces, like only keyboards, only bass, so you could add it later. And then you went into something called sound tools. Yeah. And you did, you, you sort of uh, cut out regions. This is the verse, that's the chorus. Yeah. And then you sort of added that to a playlist until yeah. you had a mix. Right. I think I had to go back like 12 times before I was happy. Okay. And, and I think I got a thousand pounds for the mix. Yeah. It was a flat fee thing, no royalty. No, I mean, I, we didn't know. It was just a mix, you know, one of those. And at the time, it, it, you had quite a lot of remixes coming in from different things, like when you were doing Sweet Mix and stuff like that. You know, it was yeah. just considered as another remix. It was a job, you know. It was yeah. kind of funky, you know. It was a dance label in the UK. You kind of felt a little. And you had that See the Day. That's And Consuelo See the Day was doing quite well. Yeah. So I was thinking, okay, cool. Uh, about a year later, you mentioned April, I had a gig in the UK and I, you know, as you do, you come into the hotel room, you, you throw the bag on the bed and put on the TV. And in those days, Top of the Pops was on Thursdays, I think. Yeah, that's right. And I'm, you know, showering, one running around, having a cuppa, you know, like that. And then I hear, dun, 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 dun. what? <laughs> and I turn around and I see Robin on stage there singing the song, you know, I was like, what the hell is going on? And it's your mix. Yes, because no one had told me. Oh, I dude. Had no Absolutely no idea. Do you know what? I'd heard this story, but I didn't know if it was true or not. And it was something I wanted to ask you. If oh, it's absolutely 100% true. I had no idea. He's a very clever man, Mel. So how did you feel? How, what, what was your reaction? This can't be real because in those days, you already knew the UK top 40. That was like the pinnacle, you know, that, yeah. that's success. I had no idea. I, I did not think, you know, oh, I need more money. Nothing like that. I was just thinking, that's incredible. Yeah. A dance record. I made like a long eight-minute club mix, and there she is singing it on top of the pops. Wow. It's like, what the hell is going on? So uh, I'd started to, there was some remix requests, and, and I was surprised, you know, it was like US and UK. Clearly, it was out on promo, you know, doing quite well. Mm. So it started to come in, you know, but... Once that happened, things got really mad. And uh, it was back in those days, you know, it was the $25,000 mixes. Oh, you know? really? Blimey. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was like standard. You know, that was kind of cheap. <laughs> wow. Wow. So it was a game changer for you as a producer overnight. I'm a bit of a workaholic, you know. I can't be stopped, you know. So I just took everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And it was like 24-7 remixes there for many, many years. <clears throat> wow. I didn't play as a DJ much. I mean, I started as a DJ, but, you know, the studio work was so interesting. And, and after this, you know, it got really crazy and it was going on for at least uh, four or five years, back-to-back exes. Very interesting development. But, you know, it, it's just that I didn't know that it was blowing up. Yeah. That was the most amazing thing. Did you think, oh, I need to speak to the guys now and just be like, yo, what has happened here? Or, you know, or were you just like, oh, cool, it's doing its thing. I'll crack on and, and let whatever else comes in, comes in. Well, 
I mean, he kept using me. You know, we had to do a follow up. I was going to say you were, you did Love for Love as well, didn't you? Yes, I went in my style. You know, chords and everything. Yeah. And he said no. And I have I have that fax framed here in my studio. Oh, really? No, Stone. No one likes your mix of Love for Love, Robin. The, the writers, no one likes it. You have to do a mix exactly like Show Me Love. <laughs> Music industry 101, you know, that's that's how it works. Yeah. You have a massive hit, you have to do a massive hit part two. Wow. So I had to dig up all those, it was discs back in then, you, back then, you remember? You had to shuffle discs, yeah. you know, feel your sound and all that. Yeah. So I had to find all, find all these sounds and uh, try to recreate. And it took a few goes, but I did. It was slower too. It was 118. Yeah. So it was hard to get the energy going there. But you know, it was a follow up. I can't remember. I think it was top ten. I think it was actually. Yeah. I think it had performed in a similar vein to to Show Me Love. Oh, it was identical. You know, it's like everything there. It's just another song. Luckily, the song was quite nice. So. But, you know, no one talks about Love for Love now. It was Show Me Love always, you know. It was a typical music industry exercise, you know. You had to do a follow-up. Yeah, yeah. But the th I think the thing with Show Me Love is that your mix has always been relevant again every so many years in Clubland, if you see what I mean. And I'm just thinking back, you know, 2009... Steve Angelo and Laidback Luke kind of did their version, which was still heavily inspired by you know the components that you'd put into the into the track, right? Which which is amazing, isn't it? It is. I mean, it's honestly, it it wasn't a garage record. It wasn't a typical house record. It was like an electronic backing, very minimalist, minimal. Yeah. And that's why I think it survived over the years, you know, because it, it's so simple. It's like nothing there. You have all these, you know, the 909 snare fills and stuff like that that makes old records sound really old. But it didn't have any typical, you know, like cliche, if you will. Yeah. I mean, the organ bass is now a cliche, but... Oh, my God, it's the most used thing ever, right? But at the time, you must have been the first guy or one of the first guys to use that particular preset on the Korg M1. Definitely. And and as I said, it was a complete accident. I had pick, pick bass number 16 and I switched to 17, organ 2. Oh, wow. that's quite nice. I've been accused years later that I stole MK, you know, but he actually did that Doom of Doom or whatever. It was uh, dubbed uh, years after Show Me Love. So right, I'm, right, right. I'm completely innocent. I didn't rip anyone. No, no. I mean, the thing is as well, if it, if it is the preset on the Korg M1, which it is, is, you know, if you find that and it works in a record and all the components are hitting, then you're, I guess you're going to go with it, aren't you? And so many other people have gone... What is that patch? What is that patch? What is it? You know, desperately trying to find it. Complete accident. One of those uh, fantastic accidents. Right, exactly. Absolutely yeah. fantastic accident. Uh, the other thing that I love so much in your mix is that there's a crash every bar or two <laughs> bars. And lots of different crashes as well. I yes. love it. I love it for that. As soon as I figured that out when I was a kid and I was trying to get into production and stuff, I'd listen to your mix just going, there's so many crashes in this record. It's brilliant. There is a, there's a reason for that. It was Roland U220. Okay. Had a bank of percussion. Right. And I realized early, I, I noticed on a lot of Chicago house that they were doing the 909 crash. <laughs> And it's too heavy, I felt, you know. And there was a finger symbol, like a dish, 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 and then a big one. So that's the secret with that. And I also got, you know, a lot of small shaker. There's a shaker in Shomalot, 
very minimal, but it all came from that percussion bank. Love it. And what I did was I, I made, I always started the same way, kick drum, you know, basic kit and the vocal. Then I added the chords and before mixed down, you had to go through the song. And I never did it like pattern based, you know, I, I just let the song run and did some percussion moves. Yeah. So it was like a channel of percussion uh, and those crashes were part of it. Amazing. Now, th the thing that I watched recently on BBC4 here in the UK was the documentary about uh, Max Martin and Dennis Pop and yourself and, and the whole history of Swedish producers. And Land of Midnight Song, I think it's called. Yeah, and to just see a little insight into your Swemix studio back in, in the early early 90s was amazing. I mean, what kind of kit were you using at the time? You've, you've kindly said about the Korg M1 and, and the Yamaha, but for actually putting the records together and kind of, uh, I don't know, compressors or certain kit that you were using at the time, is there anything you remember that was kind of a key part of your studio that, that helped you sort of make the records that you were making at the time? Well, honestly, we... We didn't have a clue, at least I didn't. There was two guys that had been, you know, doing professional remixes in professional studios, and we kind of looked up to them, you know. Yeah. One was Rene and the other guy, Emil Hellman. Yeah. And uh, I didn't have any experience at all. So I must admit that, you know, like one of my favorite things was the gain on the mixer, you know, like on a channel. Yep. Yeah. Like distortion in the table. It was a pretty crap mixing board, too. But it had this beautiful, bit crushy kind of quality to it. So a lot of things were red, you know, like it was blinking red. Oh, the whole wow. Studio. Yeah. So, uh, and lately, you know, I, I've been starting to do that again. You know, you kind of miss something in this clean environment. Oh, Everything man. is so digital and politically correct. Yeah. You can't blink, you know, and digital distortion is not nice, by the way. It can be on certain things. I noticed today when I was mixing a record, I distorted the vocal. And it's a completely different record. Really? You know, this vocal comes out, you know, and it's like, I realized that we did that. We had like three compressors you ran the vocal through and every one of them added something. Yeah. Yeah, and that's yeah. what's missing when it's completely clean. You know, it's just a plain vocal. Yes. Yeah. And I, I know, I've personally noticed how many people are looking for Akai samplers again and Emu SP1200s. You know, the kit that was kind of what I remember in the, in the 90s that I could only dream of owning, people are looking back on eBay to, to pick up those bits of kit again because they, they want a bit of bit crush or they don't want it all too digital. They want, you know, some warmth to a record, you know. it's Then I can put in a recommendation. You know, the Akai, you don't need. No one needs the Akai. Oh, really? <laughs> no one needs the Akai. Okay, that's cool. Forget that it doesn't do anything. It makes the stereo weird and it's small and it kills the bass. But the SP12, SP1200, yeah. one of those, is completely golden. It's something you can't... It's got another thing that Todd Terry and those Yanks, you know, it's a big secret. I'm sorry, guys, I'm going to reveal it now. No, go for it. It has a swing function. Yes. And I bet you, you like me, have been sitting in you know, like a, a DAW, trying to figure out why it swings. Yeah. It's because in Logic, you use uh, A, B, C, D, E swing. And it's basically, you delay the, up, you know, the upbeats <clears throat> by 41, 61, 81, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas the uh, SP1200 had percentage. Right. And they just cranked one of those up to 75% swing. And it started to swing like a, hmm, 
Mm, yeah, I was yeah, just going to yeah, say yeah, something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so I would say SP1200 is well worth finding. I had one until very recently. Oh, man. Uh, I, what I did was I, I had a lot of kits in there and I, I, I just put them on tape, you know, like I recorded them. So I have those sounds if I need them. Yes. And I figured out the swing. It's like what you do is you, you move those upbeat snares by hand, or especially hi-hats, very, very good on the SP1200 and with that swing function. You get that Todd Terry, you know, the, the oh, Tracy. Oh, super swingy. Yes, exactly. You move it manually until you find a swing. Because none of these parameters work, you know, it doesn't swing, it's mechanical. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's also level, you know, it's a level thing and uh, where it's placed. And you can get magic swing with very few things. And I think because I used the kick drum on tape from that Robin S, you know, it had, it had that tape distortion and it just swung, you know, that like the kick drum. If you listen to the kick channel, I was dancing, you know, it was like, and when you listen to a kick drum in Logic or any other DAW, it doesn't swing, it's just a kick. Oh, it's, it? it's straight, it's straight, isn't it? Yes. So there's a lot of tricks, you know, with that kind of thing. Do you, do you think with um, Show Me Love, when, when that tape turned up and the, and the kick was like that, that that, you know, that was part of it all when you were first putting it together to just go like, this has something that's not of the norm. I, you know, it's perfect, you know, groundwork that I need to go somewhere with it. Dude, I was thinking, I cannot in a million years get a kick drum like this with my pathetic 909 or I mean all 909s sound slightly different too you yeah. know mine was very good and I, there was no way I could get a deep bass drum like that yeah. it's just impossible it, I think it was because it was a junior you know like tape operator or something that they said you know we're gonna go for a break here we're gonna run down the pub can you record the tape yeah. and uh, he probably did too loud you know novice and apparently, you shouldn't record a kick drum on, on track one, which he did. Oh, okay. So it was all something it was to do all, with uh, the edge. There, there's some anal reason you shouldn't, but you know he did, right. and it was way too loud. And he recorded the snare next to it, which he shouldn't either because it leaks over. Right. So it was something. It was like traces of kit plus that tape distortion in the kick channel. All these mistakes helped. Oh, absolutely. I would say it's it's twenty percent of the hit. Is that because had the kick drum been weaker? I would have put in more drums yeah, yeah, to make yeah, it. Yeah. And then it wouldn't have been as clean. It would have sounded more dated now. So it's one of those, you know, one thing, thing led to another. So let me ask you, it's been an incredible amount of time. How do you feel about the record now? Are you, are you sick to death of it or you feel, you feel good about it? Or? Well, I'm quite philosophical with that one. You know, it's, it's, I was a bit turned off, you know, like everybody was making a lot of money and and, but in the end, I told myself, it gave me a career. Okay. So why be pissed off? Yeah. I mean, I made a mix and it was very quick. It was a, tons of recalls and all kinds of trouble. And then it was done and it was a big hit and the phone didn't stop ringing mm. for decades, you know. So, I'm, I, you know, it didn't give me a couple of million dollars in the bank, you know, but it gave me a career. So I'm happy with it. You know, you've gone on and had other huge, huge hits. I mean, I had a quick look... Um, just from going through my record collection here, and obviously put my sticks sticks right out to me on Head Candy again. Believe it or not, number six on the UK top forty in two thousand and four. That spent twenty three weeks on the chart, 
Amazing. And I, I know that's not the only one. I know there's, you know, there's plenty of other hits and, and so on as well. Oh, no, but... Those two are the big ones, uh, the UK top towns. I had one with Tatiana Lee, which was an R&B record. It was number three in the UK. I you think. did? Now, I did not know about this until uh, you told me a little while ago. Now, please tell the listeners uh, uh, what you produced because it's brilliant. It was uh, Will Smith had this. Uh, I think they were doing a TV show and she was one of the actors. And yes. She was on the Fresh Prince, right, or something? Is that yes, right? that's what that's, I think. That's it. For some reason, I think it was Big Beat, and and Show Me Love was on there too. And I had a good relationship with the A uh, and R guy there, so uh, I was called in to produce that record. And we recorded it in LA in some little shack. And wow. We just did it. I mean, as I said, I'm I'm a music man, you know. It, it was R and B. It was like a funky kind of boogie vibe. Yeah, yeah. I mean, London would understand. You know, you have that groove scene. So it was one of those, you know, like... Was that was that a record that you had in the studio, you know, an idea you had in the studio, or was it something that came about when you when you guys were all sat together in the studio in LA? I think, no. Uh, we had, I think we sent a track and the song was written. Then it, it threw up my career, it's the same. I think it's because I remix so much that I, I can't make the record until I have the vocal. Yeah, I, I've tried many times writing camps, you know, stuff like that, and it's just a complete standstill, you know. Everybody, ha- oh, why don't we put in a heavy metal guitar? And you start cringing up, oh, yeah. <laughs> and because you're polite, you say, okay, let's have a go, and you, you think that man, this is such a disaster. And just to get rid of the whole thing, yeah, record more heavy metal. Why don't you put down a solo as well? And then when you come to the studio, you rip that away, and then you start over. So. I think we we had a, a the fundamental track like the chords and she wrote the song we recorded the vocals brought it back to Sweden and I did it with my uh, studio buddy at the time Nick Nice and yeah. put in that lovely guitar riff and and all that stuff came later. Cool. And it was really nice. It, it was a similar thing, you know. We I mean we should have imagined, you know, coming from a TV show in the US with exposure and everything, it could be a hit. But I was quite surprised it was a massive hit in the UK. Really. Yeah, I mean the Fresh Prince really did cross over from the US to the UK as a TV show and you know, it was it was massive when I when I was a kid. So yeah, I'm not surprised it went and did amazing things. I I mean that must have been a global hit, right? Yeah, well, it was mainly UK, US, I would say. But uh, it was one of those, you know, I had already done like 23 other mixes when that was a hit. So, oh, nice. Uh. <laughs> so with with all these different mixes that you've done over the years, is it is it something that you still keep hold of dats or tapes or are things kind of archived, lost? How, how has it been with, with your career of, of music that you've made? If, do you have say, an archive? Uh, well, uh, this is a recommendation to all producers. You yes, know, like, please be, give recommendations. Be very anal with backups and save everything. You think that, oh, it's just a remix. And like the Robin S, if I said, you know, it's just a remix and threw all the discs away, I mean, how could I then do Love for Love? For instance, yes, just one example. And in 90, I think it was 96, I came, this. I had this dream or something and I realized tapes might go away. And surely they did. So I ordered studio time in the Polar, you know, the ABBA studio in Sweden. Yeah. I had quite a good relationship with them, so I got a really good rate on wow, ship days. Wow. And I took all my two-inch tapes and recorded them straight into Pro Tools. So I have masters. Like, back in those days, you recorded every single track on 24-inch. Yeah. On two-inch, sorry, uh, 24-track tapes. So I have all my early 90s, you know, like everything backed up. 
and it's fantastic, you know, like you, you sort of, re- you're working on a mix and you realize, oh yeah, I remember that snare drum or that conga, you know, I used the yeah. 97 in March 97, you know, and you go back in, I have it on massive, like four terabyte discs. So I just go in there and immediately I can find the whole track, you know, and just just sample, you know, like grab a little conga or whatever it can be. Yeah, and you know they they you know they're congas that have worked, and you know what I mean. I, I, it's that thing where you go, that's a good one to go to because that really worked in that yes. record, and or yeah. a shaker or a kick drum or a snare clap, it, or it could be like a little sequence, something you know, like you did, mm. and. Speaking of kick drums, another advice is like like the last five years, I do everything in key. You know, like this is something that a lot of modern, I mean, a lot of kids know this, and my kids taught me. They said I was doing a mix show, and I said, Dad, I mean, why don't you put the songs in key? What are you? That, that's so. But it's where we come from because with vinyl and stuff, you can put anything in key, whereas the tools are just here now, aren't they? I mean, yeah, every every door's got all the tuning stuff in there, mixed in key. The the DJM uh, pioneers have have got will show keys and and group by key and everything. So we're we're very very lucky now, aren't we? Yeah, we are. But you know, there was there were rules. You did not put a bass line or a vocal in the intro. It was beats. Yeah. And then maybe a percussion thing came in and those four crashes and then the bass. So you sort of had time to mix out. And I mean, we all had time. It was like seven, eight minute mixes. Yes. So you played like (laughs) eight, nine songs an hour, whereas now you play 14, 16. And it's just another reason now that we smash the music so hard with limiters and, and stuff, you know, the kick drums are really big now. We, we had more pointy kick drums back then. You know, the whole French sound, it was like a woody kick. Mate, I, lo- that's, I love that era. Yes. I mean, it's good for intros and stuff, still, or breakdowns. You have that wooden kick coming in. But, you know, it's, it's essential that your kick drum, especially the decay, is in the right key. Because you come in with this big, fat bass line in a, you know, competing key, you, you will get a mess. And you won't understand what it is, but the track is just not working. It's dragging. And so I would say that rule number one now in this smashing environment, you know, get, make sure your bass line and your kick drum is in the same key or related key. And you'll go far. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think that Robin S was just fluke, but, you know, it was, everything was in the right key. So it just worked. But it wasn't planned that way. But if you reverse engineer and you find out the keys, you will discover that, oh, yeah, everything is in key. That's awesome, isn't it? So I love the fact that it was, you know, like back in the day when you DJed from vinyl and you would kind of know records that went together. That's obviously key matching, but in a really primitive form. I kind of love the fact that Show Me Love is all perfectly in key and it was all done just by your ears. Yes. Well, decades of reverse engineering probably landed me in the insight that everything was in the right key. (laughs) But how cool is that, you, you know, that was all working at that time, you know, almost something that I guess people would do today as default, you know, you'd done at the time. But you can still, I call it planting accidents. You can play an acapella and then you have your iTunes or something and play other tracks and you find lucky accidents. You know? Sure, and you end up with a wicked bootleg. <laughs> no, no, you, you don't have to rip it. You know, you, you can play something. It can be a part of a breakdown or yeah. it can be a little silly noise in there that works really well with your verse. 
And then you either recreate or you, you sample that bit and do something. So I call it happy accidents. You know, it's, it's a really good technique. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I always think that's the best creativity, isn't it? Especially if you're a sort of DJ producer as well, because you end up finding all these accidents that some can end up being brilliant. And you do live as well when you play sometimes. Absolutely. It can be in the actual mix between two tracks. Two things interact, you know, it's like, wow, that is so funky. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and it's yeah. completely original because you couldn't have possibly come up with that idea with two different records, you know, playing together. Yeah, absolutely. So that's another good tip, you know, plant accidents. You've got, you're getting all the inside tricks here from Stonebridge. <laughs> yeah, I love with it. with pleasure. <laughs> absolutely love it. So obviously, you know, you've never stopped as a producer and I, you know, I'm totally aware because you kindly send me a lot of your new stuff that you're still producing now and... You know, tell the listeners kind of what have you been working on recently? What's happening in 2019? Well, I just released a new single called Not Alone. And it's a big piano thing. And it's a funny story because I, I did the backing track for Robin S, actually. Hey, Stone, man, we should totally write a song together. You know, it was one of those. Wow. But absolutely. And so I sent a track and I heard nothing back. And then I got this random email from a Russian friend. You know, it's like, hey, man, we should totally do a collab. And I, and I was looking through my little folder of instrumentals okay i'll send him that and he came back and it was like man very very similar in vibe to put him high it's like a rolling piano thing yeah and i was thinking i should probably pitch this to some artists and then i told myself what am i doing man i mean i made the track and it's fantastic vocal why don't i just put it out as a single and again you know a happy accident and it's really good reception you know people seem to really like it and uh it's like that, you know, I do about two singles a year. Yeah. And I stopped picking up a lot of tracks from other people. It's, um, I focus on my singles and remixes and uh, I will do this Head Candy 20th anniversary tour. Are you? Are you doing it? Yes. Me and Freemasons and a couple of other guys and Mar- they brought Mark Doyle in back. Okay, fantastic. That is really big of them, you know, I must give them, you know, super credit. That's yeah. awesome. So if people want to find you on the internet, how do they find Mr. Stonebridge? What are your preferred channels? I would say realstonebridge.com. Okay. That's my website and you have all the socials. I'm Real Stonebridge on Twitter and Instagram. On Facebook, you know, I'm Stonebridge. So uh, I'm quite easy to find. Easy to find. And I would also say, please uh, push your radio show because I know you are you are one heck of a busy guy with the radio show. Uh, and it's out every week, isn't it? Yes, I have one in America called uh, North America uh, on Sirius XM. Yeah. Uh, Stonebridge BPM Mix. And it's uh, I upload it every Sunday on uh, Mixcloud as the Stonebridge show. And then I have another one. It's a funny story. It's HKJ, which initially was Head Candy Japan. And uh, that came about, Japan had this sort of funky house uh, thing going on in the sort of 2010. It was in the middle of EDM, so it was really bizarre for oh, me. Oh, okay. They contacted me, Stone, we, we don't like that noisy EDM stuff, you know, but we do love funky house. Could you do like, we want to book you, and could you do like a radio show, 30 minutes? And I said, okay, because I kind of missed the boogie, you know, the funky. So yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I made yeah. that 30 minute episode and I upload every Wednesday. And then they stopped doing that. I think they're doing bass music or something weird now. Uh, but, but the show is so popular, you know, my core fans love that show. So I said to myself, you know, I want to continue. 
So that's why I say say HKJ now instead of Head Canada Japan. Go on, yeah, go on. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the secret. That's just that's just now I understand. Got it. But that's still that's still a popular thing. Then you've got a you've got a core support of people who love that show and and that uh, you know the sound yeah. is still working over there. The thing is that the other show is funky again too. So mm. it's a little bit more clubby and big room, whereas the HKJ is more boogie. Yeah. And, you know, it's this core sound. You know what I really love. I love those uh, urban dubs, you know, like a lot of UK stuff. And I played you quite a few times, haven't you I? You have. Thank you very much. You've, you've <laughs> you been better. very kind to support my records. It's uh, it's not a brand or political or anything like that. It's purely from the heart, you know, that show. Yeah, I know. I know. I know, dude. That if you don't like a record, you'll be you'll just be like, it's not for me. And I really sincerely appreciate appreciate that. I know it. Yeah. It means a lot to me when I see one of my records on your show. So yes. thank you. You're welcome. So yeah, what can we say other than Stonebridge? Thank you so much for spending some time and just giving everyone a little insight into what it is to be Stonebridge and your productions. You know, spanning an amazing career. You know, it. it <laughs> you know, I, I never think like that. I just go on. <laughs> I can't <laughs> stop. <laughs> Never going to stop. But I love that. That's that's inspiration to anyone that sometimes artists come and they're gone very, very quickly. But, you know, people like yourself who've done it for a long, long time, I think is uh, is is awesome and, and a great thing for aspiring artists to look up to. So thank you so much for your time. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, and I hope to catch you soon. Okay. Thank you, brother. Secrets of a dance hit with Ridney. Huge thank you there to Stonebridge, live and direct from uh, Sweden. We will do it all again in two weeks' time. Don't forget to subscribe. Please leave a review and let us know what you think. Of course, if you have a question, suggestion for a guest, etc., drop me an email, paul at ridney.com. Uh, Secrets of a Dance Hit has been presented by myself, Ridney, produced as always by Carl Hannigan. And as I say, I'll be back in two weeks with another show. Till then, cheerio. 